Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Wayne. I am the pastor here at Downtown Community. Today we are coming to you from Nimbus Dance Studios, and uh, we are actually in a dance studio today. Um, but rest assured, um, I am not being motivated by my surroundings. And I will just be speaking today. That's a good thing for all of us. But I am so glad to be with you today as we are continuing a conversation called Lifted. Called Lifted. And as we just continue throughout the morning, um, I want to encourage you to connect with us. We would love for you to get connected to community, but just to do it while we're here. So we've got a chat going. We want you to say hello and uh, say hello to one another. You can request prayer, all these different things. Uh, we have uh, a church family that's active together watching this morning. So I encourage you to connect. We're in the series called Lifted, and we're looking how God has come to engage us in a relationship, to free us from the law, to free us from rules, from being bound up um, by, by the religion that we try to create and how it ends up binding us up. And we've come to think through just history and, and practices and habits and, all, and maybe your upbringing that God is just about the law and just about the rules and all these different things and engaging us. But Jesus came to show us something completely different. In fact, God's pursuit of us from the very beginning was for us to see his incredible love for us. And, and if we understand this, in a deeper way, if we really begin to, to dive into this, I believe you will begin to experience weight being lifted off of you. As Christ followers, we believe that we have the hope of the world, and it is absolutely here, and it is real, and the best answer that you could find, especially during a pandemic, when we feel the weight of our lives in such a great way. And so the first two weeks, we talked about the story of God. Last week, we talked about how Jesus came to, to set us free from the law, that there's no line, there's no, you know, there's no courtroom for us to go into. In Christ, we've been set free even to sin. And if you missed that, if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it on our podcast. It's there for you on our website. You can listen to it and catch up at any time. Well, when I was in college, um, I was taking a class. It was on music and religion. Interesting uh, class to take. And a professor took our class. It wasn't a very large class, but took us to visit a monastery. We visited this monastery. I don't know where it was. We were way out in the middle of nowhere. We drove for hours. And then all of a sudden, there's this huge campus, this big cathedral and all these buildings. They had a seminary there and they had monks there. They were they were not fully silent monks. There's not enough time to explain all that, but they, um, they were mostly silent. And, uh, and there's two things that stood out from that trip. One was the professor somehow convinced a bunch of college students to go to a 5.30 a.m. service. And I don't know how we did this, but we showed up. But I remember being just struck by it because these monks were singing in these low early morning voices. And it was just deep and it was just echoing throughout this cathedral type of, uh, of sanctuary, and, and it was just the sound of the music and what we were singing was, was actually pretty awe-inspiring, and so that struck me, but then the other thing was is that they had a vineyard, and it was a huge, they had their own vineyard, they made their own wine, they had a winery there, and I was going through this like just normal looking cafeteria, and I paid for the food, and and I, and I walk, you know, I'm walking, and all of a sudden there's a monk right in front of me. He's going, would you like to have some of our, of our monastery wine? <laughs> and he's got a glass of wine. And so 
I was like, sure, and I got a monk to uh, serve an, you know, an, uh, a minor. <laughs> you guys like, you, he, you are a terrible person. You're right, I am. And so, um, and so anyway, but not only that, like they had a seminary there, and they had a bar on their campus. There was a bar, and no joke, it was called the Unstable. <laughs> and so it just seemed like this crazy thing where like here's this place this cathedral where we're trying to you know have the awe of God just in its size and in the singing and everything that's done there and then you've got you know a bar called the unstable and a and so in, you know just this place this institution that's all about your works and getting to God and all these rules you've got to follow to get to him and then in the same breath there's this freedom of, of drinking and so it, it struck me and and it's kind of interesting. And so I was thinking about this. I was like, if, if Jesus were to be with us today, and if some reason he was there, and, and you were a messenger, this is a t- crazy scenario, but somebody you know, said, hey, you've got to go there. You've got to get this urgent message of Jesus. We can't reach him on his phone, and we don't know where he is. He's just there. So you've got to decide as fast as you can where he is. So where would you go first? In this huge campus, where do you think Jesus would be hanging out? Well, fortunately, Luke, in the gospel, the gospel of Luke, he's someone who wrote a detailed written account of Jesus' life. He gave us the answer to this question, all right? In Luke 15, it says this. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Like people who were not religious, hated religious, were running from this institution, loved to hear from Christ. It's amazing, right? He says, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And not only hanging out with them, but like eating with them. In fact, this group of ultra-religious teachers and and Pharisees and all these people, like they often accuse them of this. They're like, you're drinking with these people. They accuse Jesus of being a drunkard just because of who he associated with. Isn't that fascinating? So Luke is like, if you're looking for Jesus, he would have been at the unstable. <laughs> That's, he would have been hanging out there with all the degenerate seminary students that are wanting to be monks one day. I don't know. I don't, anyway, all the monks. That's where they're Anyway, so that's where, that's where he would be. And I love this picture of God. He, he came down to us to be with us and to show what God is like. And he was with us in our everyday lives, hanging with people who didn't like religion. And so Jesus was very aware of, of this attitude and their, their disdain. And so he begins to share with them three parables in a row. And this is actually one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And they're, and they're famous. These parables are stories that to, are told to illustrate a point. And, and he told, tells three in a row that has, around the same subject, which means he's really emphasizing it. All these are famous, and some of them, even if you've never been to church and don't believe in God, you've heard of this. There's, I mean, culture talks about it. There's TV shows about it around this subject, everything. Anyway, but one of them, he, he tells a parable of the lost sheep, and he leaves 99 sheep behind and goes after the one sheep. The lost sheep finds it, comes back, and celebrates. And then there's another parable of, of, of a woman who lost in crazy valuable coin, and so she turned her house upside down until she finally found it. And she threw a huge party and said, celebrate with me, I found this lost coin. And Jesus said, he says, it's just like this in heaven. That all of heaven throws a party. All of heaven celebrates when even one lost person is found, comes to God. And then he tells this iconic 
parable. Parable of the lost son, but it's actually a parable about two sons. And it says here, Jesus continued, and we're not going to put this on the screen because it's just so much to put on here. So I'm just going to read this for you. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. These two sons, you know, we're going to get their share. And usually the elder son had a bigger share, but the younger son got one. And this son's like, I want it now. I want everything now. I know that you did all this. Like, we're here, you know, because of what you've helped create. We've been a little bit part of this, but I want everything now. And so so his father was like, okay. And he divided his property between them. And this has been a crazy story then. People are like, no way he did this. It says, not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Meaning, he probably sold the property. They divided it up, and then he got the money out of it. It says he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, meaning he blew it all, all of his dad's work, all this legacy, gone. It says there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So what does father do? How does his father respond? Like, you just blew everything that I've been working for all these years. Like, how would his father respond when he sees him coming? It says here, But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Not only that, it says, He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, meaning you belong. Put a ring to his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, the most expensive thing we have in the field that we've been saving, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. There it is again, the party. Let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Love this, love this story. But the story's not over. There's this other son. You remember he had two sons. And so this whole time it says, meanwhile, and the music goes, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Jesus is like, meanwhile, the older son, remember the audience, by the way, he's responding to these Pharisees, these religious people who are so mad at Jesus for who he's hanging out with. It says, the older son was in the field. He had been working this whole time, toiling for his part, right? It says, when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He's like, what is going on? So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And this poor servant, as you know, this, this brother's about to blow up. And his, his servant's like, well, um, so your brother's back. Uh, and like, as he's saying this, he's like, you know, he's like backing away. He goes, and... Um, your father's not mad, except he's actually really happy. And actually, he 
he's thrown a party, he's, he's killed the fattened calf, the really big one that's expensive, and, and uh, yeah, and so the servant runs away. <laughs> I, and that's got to be what happened. And he just takes off running. And so, understandably, he says here, the, the older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So he's pissed. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, this is an exclamation point, I have all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him a brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Phenomenal story. It's a story about these two brothers. But the interesting thing is at one point, both brothers didn't love their father. We focus on the prodigal son, as we've known to, be, to call him, but remember the, the audience were these Pharisees and the older brother represented them. They had a disdain for the younger brother. How can you let him come back? They would have been livid to hear of the father's response. They would not have been able to believe that. They would have been vocally responding most likely. The elder son didn't love the father that much either. He wanted his wealth. He was mad because that was his fattened calf. That was money that he had. This is fascinating. Jesus is showing us that we can't earn our way. We're both selfish. Whether we run away from God or we're trying to do everything we can to show how good we are to get to God, for that to save us. Both are broken. See, there's three, three things we're going to walk through quickly today. And the first one is, is this. Jesus came so that we could have a relationship, not religion. He came so we could have a relationship, not the trappings of religion. The non-religious come to God and, we, and say, you know what, you can't tell me I'm wrong. How, and we just re reject God. We walk away and it's like you can't draw a line on, on these things. You just can't say that this is okay and this is not okay. Who are you to decide this for my life? I'm going my own way. I'm doing things my own. I'm going after all these things. You can't draw a line on sexuality. You can't draw a line on how much I can drink. You can't draw a line on how much I consume in my life, how much I watch. We just kind of put it in the face of God and say, I'm going to pursue my own happiness. This is what's important to me. Building my life, building influence with others. This is important. I need to have a career, and you don't want me to do this. You don't want to be part of that. And so we push God out and say, you just can't draw these lines. They're just too overbearing, and we push God out. And the religious stand up in their pride and say, look how good we are. Look at you. And the religion, religious people do all these things, but then they can't keep it up. And we say, well, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. And we watch 
Christians in our world today purport moral values for life and for family. Then we see them celebrating leaders and culture whose words and actions don't match anything that they say. We're watching some Christians ignore racist speech, boasting, and being divisive, and other deadly actions. That's what Scripture says these are. Refusing to listen to injustice, things that their own God condemns. Refusing to listen about the injustices in the world. What does God say about this? Well, Paul speaks to this group of religious people. In Romans 2, he says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. And this is found in Romans 2. He says, when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. He's speaking specifically to all these ultra-religious people. He says, for you who judge others, do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, who do you think that you, that you why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? Wow. Wow. So what do we do? We're, we're like, whether you're running from God or not, like we're all just kind of messed up. We can't be good enough. And if we try to judge others because of how good we are, we're really just judging ourselves because nobody can keep this up. And so we're all kind of like Jesus. We, we, excuse me, we all like Jesus in some way. We can say, well, you're a good teacher and all these different things until... He gets to whatever your line is. Every one of us has a line that we think that we shouldn't cross, and at some point, he will cross that line. And we're good with him until then. So some of you are like, this is offensive. This is what I referred to last week, that it's, when we engage this conversation, it's both offensive and freeing. So what's the issue? Well, the issue really is none of us want to admit that we've done wrong. None of us want to admit we've done wrong. That's hard to do. <laughs> it's not what our culture does today. We just fight back. But here's the thing. We're struggling and we're anxious, anxious on both sides. Both sides are in turmoil right now. We're both anxious about life. On one hand, on more religious type of side, we, are, we can't be moral enough. We can't be good enough because we know we don't even meet our own standard and we blow it in our lives. And therefore, we're ridden with guilt and anxiety and we beat ourselves up with guilt. It's hard for us to love people well and we do things that we have to hide just so we can appear that we're moral and we're just ridden with anxiety and we're struggling. Or 
we went our own way and we thought our pursuits of happiness would bring us ultimate satisfaction and, and relationships with others or a sexual life or a good family or a better job or maybe luxury living, some things that made my life better or just more entertainment and, and, you know, and, and, and consuming more things or becoming better at a job or, or leading an influential life that people want to see. And all it's done is just made you more anxious. It's not brought you ultimate joy. Really, neither way is working out, and we're finding that neither can save us. We feel that way. I feel that way, and we need to be lifted. We need to be lifted. And this is key. This is key. This is why we need, and really, deep down, you want a just, Holy God, who has that right to judge. Who was and is perfect. He's the one that can set the standard because he is the only one that is holy, that is perfect. Remember, we talked about this last week. He is life. He is love. He's all those things. He, he's not just life-giving, but he, it, it's, like, it's, why, it's why he made us. He gave us life. That's because that's who he is. He is love. Any love that we feel in the world has come from him because that is who he is. And he's the only one who can call us to those things. And he has the right to judge because that means that he is the one, the only one that can bring it back can bring us actually back to a world of peace. A God of justice can make things right. We can be redeemed and restored. So Jesus came so that we could have a relationship, not a religion. And we need, the second thing we need to know today is that, that we need a holy judge so it can all be made right. So this righteous judge, how does he engage us? Because none of us can get it right. That means we're all set to be judged. So how, does Je how did Jesus approach our sin? Well, I want to bring you really quick here as we end is this story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And in this day and age, this was like the big thing that if you did this, this was the one that hit the papers. And even now, you know, any celebrity that's caught in an affair is still a big deal. But this was like a major thing. Like they had the right to stone somebody caught in adultery. And these Pharisees, as people we were talking about earlier, they're constantly trying to trap Jesus. And they drag this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. It's an awful, crazy scenario that nobody's right in this scenario. And they drag her before Jesus because they think they've caught him because he's got to admit that they can stone her. This is a famous story. This is a real event that happened. They were demanding an answer. This is found in John chapter 8. It says, they kept demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped again and started writing the dust. And we all wish so bad that he was writing the sins of the Pharisees. And he may have been. Because it says right then and there, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the eldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. They drug her into this crowd of people. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, she said. 
Jesus said, neither do I. I don't condemn you. And he said, go and sin no more. In the most vulnerable, condemning moment of this woman's life, when all of of her hidden life came full to the exposure of Christ, in front of God, was she accused or condemned? No. She was met with grace. See, that's the third thing for us, is admitting our sin leads us to grace not condemnation. It says in the scripture, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That means life filled with love. He took the condemnation for us. He took her condemnation so she could get God's righteousness. It's incredible. That full acceptance when we believe in Christ, that grace, admitting our sin leads us to grace. That is your identity. And like we said last week, this changes the conversation. It changes the conversation. So the religious person, if you know you're in Christ, you're fully accepted, fully by God. It's not about earning it because you know you can't. Only Jesus did. He already earned it for you. Then you can admit and actually look at your struggles. Because they no longer condemn you. And then you can see Christ to help have him lead you towards life and away from those things. For the non-religious person, where you're, you realize your identity and work or influence or relationships, or the, trying to pursue them as the ultimate worth in your life, you found was ultimately empty. These were good things, but when you made them the ultimate, they could not fulfill you. It was never enough. You can learn to trust Jesus' words and truths, knowing that they will actually fill you up and lead you to life. Remember God's story for you. He created a world that we long to be back to of peace and justice, freedom. But we messed it up with our own sin. But he didn't leave us there. He came to redeem us. And he is going to restore it one day. These are amazing promises that we can begin to experience now. But it came at a cost. It cost Jesus' life. And our wrongdoing cost him something. Just like John said, God sent his son into the world not to condemn us, but to save us. We can be lifted in Christ only. If you feel condemned today, think about a God who's standing down the road longing for you to come back. And when we admit he doesn't condemn us, he's ready to throw a robe on you and throw a party and hug you as hard as he can. That is our 
God. Let's pray. Father, Daddy, our Savior, God, I thank you for these words that you've brought to us. God, I I pray today as we feel the weight of our world, we feel anxious, we're away from others, life has become harder. God, I pray that in this time we would know more than ever your incredible love and pursuit. That we don't need to feel anxious because just like you said, you have overcome the world. I pray that we would begin to experience the weight lifted off because of the freedom that only you can bring. We thank you and ask this all in your name. Amen.